The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. of war and hauled off uh, by the enemy and uh, dominated by them. And uh, as Christians, we, we never are bulletproof if we're not careful, right? There's always this risk, if we're not careful, that our faith can be uh, derailed. And, you know, we see in the world we live in more and more, the church and Christianity as a whole is under attack. I don't know if you've noticed that. But uh, even in countries that used to be quite favorable to the church and even maybe called themselves Christian nations, I won't name any of those, but you could pick one. Um, even in those places, they're anything but Christian anymore. And there's a, a lot of actually hostility against the church and against Christians. And I believe that as we, as we walk closer and closer to the return of Christ, um, Jesus' warnings that, watch out, you will, you will face persecution it's going to be more and more real for all of us. And so it's easy to be a Christian when everything's going well. It's easy to be a Christian when the majority of the society approves and supports it and applauds it and says, hey, way to go. It's a lot harder, though, when it's under attack. It's much more difficult to stand up for Christ when uh, everybody around you uh, is going the opposite direction. Uh, a recent survey of, of students graduating from high school found that only one in four high school graduates who come from solid, strong, evangelical Christian homes, only one in four continue in their faith when they go to college. Only one in four. Right? And so, and that, that's true uh, even among, the, the, sadly, among the missionary community. And so these are, these are frightening things, and it's somewhat of a bleak picture. Uh, but Paul is not saying <clears throat> it's hopeless. In fact, his message in this passage is that it is actually possible to have a strong, unshakable, immovable faith. That it is possible to be, to be so rooted that no wind can blow us over. And that's the picture of this image of being rooted. It's a picture of a, of a great, massive tree. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know, you've got a big tree maybe 100, 200 feet up in the air, wide, lots of branches. Uh, when the wind blows, how much force is that tree having to push against? If you've, if you've ever sailed a kite, a small little kite, you know how this works, right? The, the wind, even on a small little piece of cloth, actually exerts quite a force. Can you imagine the force on a massive tree? I don't know how much it is, but it's a lot. And yet the tree doesn't fall over. Why? Because trees are given deep substantial roots that go far down into the ground and anchor the tree so it's unshakable, immovable. And so Paul has this picture that this is possible for us. There are risks, there are dangers, but uh, we don't have to worry that that we can't stand strong, rooted, firm when when difficulties and trials come. Uh, but maybe that's not how you feel right now. Maybe you feel like, you know, I feel like my faith is kind of shaky. I feel like oftentimes the doubts and the questions uh, oftentimes are just right up there with my faith, and I feel like my faith is kind of on shaky ground sometimes, right? Um, or maybe you feel like, no, I, my faith is pretty good, but I want to be prepared, right? I want to be ready for whatever will come. So, 
the question is, how can we build up our faith? <clears throat> what advice or encouragement does Paul give us to be rooted, to be solid and firm, unmovable, unshakable in our faith? Well, let's see. Um, Paul, like I said, this is kind of a, a theme, uh, topic statement for the book. Uh, so we'll, we'll hit it kind of briefly here. And then he will unpack it in its, in its pieces throughout the rest of the book. But let's, uh, let's get a framework for it as we look at uh, verses 6 and 7. Uh, and he starts off by saying simply, Therefore, as you uh, receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Uh, and what he really is saying there is we continue in the faith, we, we persevere, we remain steadfast in the faith in the same exact way that we started in the faith, right? He says, he says therefore, as, as you received, in the way that you received Christ, uh, so continue, so walk in him. Right? So uh, the big question is, what does it mean to receive Christ? Is in the way you receive Christ, walk in him. So how did we receive Christ? Uh, well, uh, in, in some, uh, well, in English anyway, and in uh, some uh, religious backgrounds, we use this expression to receive Christ as really a kind of code language for how you got saved. Right? Uh, it, it usually refers looks back to some event when you invited Christ into your life, when you prayed, you understood the gospel, you took some step to invite Christ into your life. And so we say, well, when did you receive Jesus? And we mean by that, well, like, when did you get saved? When did you pray to receive Christ? But that's not actually how, how Paul's using the word here or what it means here. Uh, this word is actually a very specific and unique word in, in Greek, that uh, refers to the passing on of a tradition, of, 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 as it were, a creed, of a set of religious beliefs, right? And it really has this reference all the way back in the Old Testament as uh, God gave to Moses the, the, the Torah, the law, the Ten Commandments, and all of the law. And if you remember back in Deuteronomy, uh, God commanded them, you need to teach these things to your children, right? You need to pass it on from one generation to the next. Okay, this isn't going to be on autopilot. You have to be intentional about passing on these teachings, these beliefs about who God is and what he demands of you as his people. And so, uh, so, so each new generation would receive this creed, this, this body of instruction, as it was taught to them by their parents and by uh, presumably the, the priests in the temple. We know that for sure happened in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah, as they set up this very formal program, actually, of passing on the traditions. Uh, and that developed uh, over time until Jesus' day, when this was, uh, this was how Judaism worked, right? They would pass on the traditions. Unfortunately, between Ezra and Jesus, they added a lot of footnotes. <laughs> uh, and they got to where, actually, what they were passing on was more the footnotes than the actual law. And so Jesus was not happy with that system. Not because they weren't passing it on, but because the, what they were passing on was not what was originally given, right? So that was the, the failure. Uh, but, but Paul's using that same language here. He's saying, as you received Christ, as you've received this body of teaching and instruction, this content, as it were, this creed, this set of beliefs about, uh, about faith, about Christ, right? Um, Paul uses uh, the same exact word in the same language in 1 Corinthians 15 where he summarizes very concisely 
a very short form what this body of teaching is. Verse Corinthians 15, 3-4, For I delivered to you, right, I delivered, I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received. Right, so Paul's not making this up. Paul's one who's receiving this, this body of teaching and then he is passing it on to them. And what is it? Well, he sums it up this way, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Right? So, uh, so that's what he's talking about here. And it's important to, to understand that what, what Paul is speaking of here is not human tradition. He's not talking about receiving some human teaching or human instructions or some man-made religion, some uh, worldly or humanistic philosophies. But this is a message that came directly from God. And we know it came uh, directly from God because the content or the message that, that's passed on is, is not just a set of beliefs. It's not just man-made rules and regulations like the Old, the Old Testament code. In fact, it really wasn't technically even a creed. And, and I use the word creed because that kind of helps us get an idea of what's being passed on, the set of beliefs. But actually, what is actually being passed on, he says, is not, not even a creed, not even a doctrinal statement. But what's being passed on is what? Jesus. Right? Jesus himself. Right? What we're passing on, the set of beliefs that we're holding to, is rooted and in, in, in actually embodied in the person of Christ. So this makes it very unique, and we know it's from God because Jesus came from God. And we saw earlier, he, uh, in chapter 1, he talks and paints this amazing picture of Jesus as, as fully God, who originated from uh, beyond, well actually he did not originate, right? He, he was before creation, and he was the one from whom all things were made and were created. He's the eternal God, right? So this is a, uh, something that's passed down through Scripture uh, from God himself, uh, preeminently in the person and life of Jesus. And that is the message that's being passed on to them. And he said, so you, so you have received this message, right? Uh, he wraps it up in verse 7. He says, just as you were taught. Right? So that's what he's talking about. He's about receiving a set of instructions that they have been taught. And we know that this message came to them through the uh, faithful proclamation of the gospel uh, at the mouth of Epaphras, uh, Colossians 1, 5-7 says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, that's kind of the abbreviation of this message, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth as you learned it from Epaphras. Right, so as you see this happening, Paul received the gospel on the road to Demaeus. Uh, then he passes it on to faithful men like Epaphras. Epaphras then takes it back to his hometown of Colossae. And he passes it on and, and they receive it. And, and in order for them to receive it, a couple of things have to happen. First, they have to be willing to listen. Right? Um, it wouldn't do any good if Epaphras is out there teaching and nobody showed up to listen. But apparently somebody showed up. Somebody listened. Right? They showed up. They heard it. But not only did they hear it, but they received it. They welcomed it. They embraced it as truth. And they ultimately put their faith in it as true. That Jesus was the way of salvation. That Jesus was the hope who could deal with their sin 
and give them new life in his, uh, through his cross, right? Um, now, as I said, he's gonna, Paul's going to unpack this a lot more. He's going to go into some great detail. So next week we're going to look at really what the content of what it means for Jesus to be a savior, what he did. Uh, we know it has something to do with the cross, right? Uh, but we'll look at that much more in detail in, in, in verses 9 through 14. But Paul summarizes it in this simple phrase. He says, what you received is Christ Jesus the Lord. Uh, actually, in Greek, it's literally what you received is the Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, the message, the truth, the reality of Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, we use this phrase often. We sing about it, Christ Jesus the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We kind of mix it up. Uh, Jesus Christ the Lord. You can switch around any way you want. And for us, it kind of becomes a, just a, a, a nifty way of talking about Jesus, right? But actually, when he uses this, these words here, they have very specific and exact meaning. And the, even the order is probably important. He says, you received Christ Jesus the Lord. And there's two important truths about what it means to receive Christ, to receive this message that are uh, summarized in these, these simple titles for Christ. And the first is that we receive Jesus as the Messiah. Right? The word Christ is the Greek word which translates the Hebrew word um, Messiah. Uh, now, if we were to translate it yet one more time, Christ, Messiah, in English means anointed. There we go. That's right. The anointed. The chosen one. Right? Um, so uh, a, lot of, a lot of languages going on there. We just need Chinese now. I don't know. If, I don't know. <laughs> We'll let Jason, who's translating, figure that one out. Um, so, so, uh, so Christ the Messiah. So what is, the, what is the meaning of that? What's the significance of that? Why does he uh, identify Jesus as the Messiah? Well, uh, the Messiah, first of all, refers to the, the literal physical Jesus who actually came, born in Bethlehem, right, to Mary, and who lived this life in, in Galilee and, and throughout uh, Israel and places, right? That he was a real person. He came in the flesh, right? And as we know, he wasn't just a human. He was God in human flesh. God who took on a human physical body. Uh, But he came not just as a person. He came as the promised Messiah. Uh, The rescuer, really, or deliverer of Israel. And anointed uh, has the idea of a king. The word anointed pictures a king. And, and Israel during Jesus' day was actually looking for the Messiah. They were looking for this anointed one who would come. And we, we, we wonder how, how they missed him, right? Well, it's important to know why they were looking for a Messiah. What were they looking for in this anointed, promised king? Well, what they were looking for was a rescuer, right? Much as Moses had been back in his day when Egypt was enslaved and in bondage in Egypt, And they needed a rescuer. They needed an anointed one to come to lead them out of bondage and slavery. And that's what Moses did. He rescued them from captivity, from being in bondage. And and they had the same image. It wasn't just that they wanted a king. It wasn't just that they wanted a ruler. Uh, What they wanted was a ruler who would rescue them. Uh, So uh, David also, of course, is the, the kind of ultimate king of Israel. And Jesus is a descendant of David. And David, likewise, he wasn't just a king who set up rules and had lots of bureaucracy. Because the people were not voting for bureaucracy, to be clear. That came with it, unfortunately. But that's not what they were after. 
what they were after was a rescuer. And they loved David because, you know, Saul slew his thousands, but David slew his ten thousands. Like, he was good at this. He, he killed Goliath, and he went out, and when he went to war, he won. That's the guy they want as king, a rescuer, a deliverer. And so when, when they want Jesus to be their Messiah, when they, when they suspect that he might be their Messiah, what they're looking for is a, a guy who's going to rescue them from Roman tyranny, who's going to uh, somehow overthrow the whole Roman Empire. Right? And of course, Jesus could have done that. But he didn't. And so they, they were convinced, many Jews were convinced, well, if he's not going to deal with Rome, if he's not going to be a rescuer, then he can't really be the Messiah. And when Jesus clearly turns down those offers, he says, no, I'm not going to deal with Rome. I'm not going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They conclude, then he's not the Messiah. But their problem was not that, uh, that Jesus was not the Messiah. He clearly was. Their problem is they didn't, they didn't understand what they were really in bondage to. They thought their problem was political. Right? They thought their problem was that they were being governed by, by pagans, by Gentiles. And, and that it would have solved all their problems that they would have had their own kingdom. But if they had read their own Bible, if they had gone back to Chronicles and, and uh, the Old Testament, they would have seen that that didn't work, right? David, Solomon, all the kings had their own government, and the people were still in bondage, right? Not to Egypt, not to Rome, but they were in bondage to sin. They were in bondage to their own evil, wicked hearts. They were ultimately in bondage to death, right? They were under the curse of sin, and that was the real problem, had God raised up another deliverer to rescue them from Rome, they could have had their own empire, but it would have been just as evil, just as lost, and just as wicked as Rome. Right? That wasn't their problem. Their problem was they were under the curse of sin. And the, the rescue that they needed was rescue from bondage to sin and death and the tyranny of Satan. And that's why Jesus came, right? That's what it meant for him to be Messiah, the anointed rescuer who would deliver not only Israel, but all those who, who would know him from the curse of sin and death. Uh, that's why he came. So to receive Jesus as Christ as Messiah is to trust him as the one who, who came as the rescuer, not in a political sense, but from sin and death. Right? Now, of course, uh, Looking forward, Jesus will come again, and one day he will overthrow Rome and every other government, and he will set up his own political kingdom, and he will rule absolutely over, over earth. And he will get rid of those who do not follow him, and he will bless those who do. But in the meantime... Okay, we're back in business. Um, 
Somebody's asking me how long the, the battery lasts after the red light comes on. I think about two minutes, apparently. <laughs> Not very long. Um, all right, so, so Jesus, uh, when we receive him as Messiah, we are receiving him as the one who rescues us from sin, right? Who through his death on the cross deals with our sin and sets us free from uh, its curse, which is ultimately death, right? But secondly, it's not just uh, receive Christ Jesus, but it's to receive Christ Jesus, the Lord. Uh, and, and it's a package deal. And, and Lord means ruler or master. It means the one who has the right to rule and reign over the earth and over your life. And so, so to receive him as, as Lord it involves submission to him as one who has the right to tell us what to do. Right? A lot of people want Jesus to deal with their sin. They don't particularly want Jesus to tell them how to live their life. But guess what? It's a package deal. We receive Christ Jesus the Lord. Right? It's, it comes all together. You don't get to pick one. Well, I think I'll take Jesus the Messiah. I like that whole dealing with sin thing. I'm all for that. But I'm quite good running my own life. Right? Of course you are. That's why, well, we won't go into that. Um, just, just let me tell you, you're not that good at it, right? And uh, I know you want to be in control, but Jesus says, hey, it's not, that I, it's not that I want to wreck your life. I want to redeem your life. And the only way I can do that is if I am in control because you're going to mess it up, right? So, so it's a package deal. We, we, we receive him as, as, as Messiah, as, as rescuer, and as Lord, as master, as ruler over our life. Um, now, I, I will say this. Uh, Jesus as Messiah, as rescuer, is a rather instant process. Right? Jesus deals immediately and instantly and completely with our sin. Right? So when he died on the cross, his death was sufficient. In other words, it worked. Right? It worked 100%. It wasn't like, well, Jesus... Death kind of mostly deals with sin, but, you know, there's still some residual effects uh, of, of, of guilt. And so you're 90% forgiven, but, you know, hopefully by the time you get to heaven, it, it, you know, it scrubs it all out, right? No, this is like, it, it eliminates sin completely 100%. He deals instantly and immediately. We are justified, which means we are right before God the moment we put our faith in him. Right? There's no process involved. It's immediate and instant. But uh, making him Lord over our life is not so instant, right? And we know that. We experience this every day where I want God to be in charge of my life, and I start off, and he is in charge of my life for the first, like, minute or so, right? And then, boom, things happen, and pretty soon I've taken over. I think, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, it's, it's God's life, right? So it is a process. It is a process of him taking control and reigning and ruling over my life. And it's a process of giving him authority and, and right over areas of our life as we become aware. And sometimes we're just not even aware of the ways that we take charge of our own life, right? So that is much more of a process. Uh, so, so put all this verse 6 together. He says, uh, um, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So Paul's point here is simply, to summarize it, is that, look, you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, as, as the Messiah who takes away sin and who is master over your life, 
That's how you started uh, the walk of faith as a, as a believer. Um, uh, the way you continue is, to do, is just to keep doing that, right? As you received him, so walk in him. As you received him, as you've come to know him, as you've come to submit your life to him and trust him to deal with your sin and to lead you, so continue on. Right? Just keep walking in that path. There's not, another, there's not another way. Just keep going in that path. Right? Uh, that's, what he's, that's what he's saying here. Uh, and and a, a walk in, in Paul's language involves both our beliefs and our conduct. Right? It means what we think or know about Jesus, that it's rooted in that message we received. Uh, but it's also uh, conforming our life to, to his example. Right? Jesus gave an example of his life when he walked on earth. He was obedient to the Father, and he loved people, and he served. And so we are to copy his example. To walk in him is to walk in the way he would live life. Right? That's how he rules and is Lord over our life. Right, so that's verse 6, right? Uh, but, but then he moves on in verse 7, and he gives us this picture, right? He says in verse 7, uh, 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 Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Uh, so so he, he moves on from kind of, we continue, we, 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 we stand firm in this faith by Continuing the way we started. And the way we do that is by being rooted, built up, and established. Right? Established in our faith. And the picture here, again, is these three images, these three pictures uh, of a person who has unshakable faith. Right? Does anybody want that? Does anybody have this kind of unshakable faith? I do, right? I, I, I hope you do. I hope you want to be unmoved. Like, no matter what comes at you, you just have this certainty and conviction in Christ and in God that is just absolutely unshakable, right? So the picture is first is of a, is being rooted like a mighty tree. We talked about that. This mighty tree that's got such deep anchored roots that, that no storm can blow it over, right? It is rock solid, immovable, right? Uh, and not only that, but it can, it can withstand drought for long periods of time. Like dry spells, tough times can come, and because its roots down to where the, the deep waters are, it, it's, it's, it's be sustained, right? It's not going to shrivel and dry up and wither. Uh, maybe you feel right now, you know, we talked about how busy Christmas is and how busy life can be, and sometimes it can make us feel withered, dried out, dried up, right? Well, that's not a life, a picture of a life that is rooted well in Christ. A life rooted well in Christ is a life that does not wither, no matter how hard things are, there's, there's this, this invigorating strength that we have. And not that it's easy, not that we always enjoy it, but there's this energy and life force that's there from Christ, right? rooted, uh, rooted in him. Secondly, built up in him. And this is more changing images from a tree more to a, a, a house or a mansion or a castle. Right? For a castle to be strong and enduring, it has to have a solid foundation. Right? No man builds his house on the sand. Why? Because the sand washes away and the house falls down, Jesus says. Right? This is a picture of a house that's built on a solid, rock-solid foundation. 
And likewise, it can't be moved, and it will not collapse or fall down, no matter what kind of storms or torrents come against it. Right? It's immovable. Uh, the last image, uh, and by the way, that, that foundation is, is, is in Christ. Right? So Jesus himself is the foundation, the immovable foundation upon which we build our life. And finally, he uses the image of being established. Uh, this actually is a, a legal term. Uh, it comes from uh, the, the language of, of contracts or legal transactions. And to, to establish something means to establish the agreement on a guarantee. right? And so the, the better the guarantee, the more certain the, the, the agreement. right? So... You know, the, kind of the lowest end of this would be the pinky promise. Promise? Pinky promise? <laughs> like, what's the guarantee in a pinky promise? Does it mean like you chop off your pinky? I don't know what that means, really. Um, that would be that would be pretty that'd be a pretty good guarantee, I think. Uh, or does it just mean you know, kids kind of playing a game and it doesn't really mean anything, right? Uh, when you go to the bank and you want to borrow a large sum of money, hundreds of thousands of baht, uh, you say to the bank. Loan officer, pinky promise. <laughs> Try that, right? <laughs> no, they they probably want a little more substantial guarantee. And usually they want you to put up some kind of collateral, some kind of property or asset that you have that's that's worth the value. So you say, yeah, here's the title to my house, right? If I don't pay back the money, you can come take my house. That's a, a, a more certain, a more weighty guarantee. And so that's, that's what this word here, it means to be established on the basis of a solid guarantee. Uh, well, what is the guarantee? He says uh, it's, it's the, we, we are established in our faith. Our faith is guaranteed. And the guarantee for us is two things. First, it is the uh, good and unchanging character of God. Right? God has made these promises in Scripture and in his word that he will save us, that he will... Uh, that we will actually be resurrected from the dead, that we have new life in Christ. These are promises that he has made, and it's guaranteed on the basis of his own unchanging nature and character. If we believe and know that God is good and unchanging, we can accept his word. He does not go back on his word. He doesn't say, well, it was just a pinky promise. It didn't really mean anything. I was just, I was just kind of messing with you, right? No. When God makes a promise, it is certain. But more than that, even that, if that should be enough. But but there's even more, right? The ultimate guarantee is the very blood of Jesus. Uh, The Bible says that God has made with us a new covenant, and he has ratified or guaranteed that covenant by the very blood of Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 11.25, he says, In the same way, Jesus took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It is a new covenant guaranteed by my blood. His death on the cross is our guarantee. So when we stand before God in judgment, and Satan the accuser says, Look at all those sins. Look at all those bad things that they did. They do not deserve your goodness. They deserve God's judgment. And Jesus will stand up and say, my blood has covered it, right? I have a new covenant, a new agreement with them that they have life and that I save them on the basis of my own blood 
that was poured out for them. Uh, you cannot get a better guarantee. Right? Uh, so our faith is established on the very blood of Christ. Our life is built on the very foundation of Christ. We are rooted into the very life of Christ. Right? So, so this sounds good. And we could stop the sermon right here and we could say, okay, now go out there and root yourselves. Go out there and build yourselves up. You weaklings, get out there and toughen up those faith muscles. Amen? No, not amen. Okay, not amen. <laughs> okay, we can't stop there, actually. Because there's some things you need to understand about these words. Uh, this is kind of a language lesson. Sorry, we have to do a language lesson. That's always a bad thing. Uh, but here's a language lesson. These verbs, uh, or these words, rooted, build up, and established, are all in what we call the passive voice. Right? Now, active voice means I do it. I do it. Passive voice mean, means it's done to me. Okay, so active voice, I can say I'm studying hard. Right? Passive voice is I am being studied hard. Right? Very different meanings. Right? Very different meanings. Um, and the point is here that he's not saying go root yourself. That would be the active, right? He's not saying go out and build yourselves up. Start doing those spiritual push-ups. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you need to be built up by somebody else. You need to be uh, uh, rooted uh, by some other process that you have no control over and that you have really actually very little part in. You need to be established. And this is probably the best picture of it. We don't establish ourselves by putting up our own guarantee. Right? We are established by the guarantee that God has provided. Right? He has established us by his own guarantee in Christ. Um, so, so getting stronger in the faith is ultimately not something we do for ourselves. In fact, we cannot. We cannot do for ourselves. It is not like going to the gym, right? And, you know, we can say, yeah, you need to get stronger. The doctor could say, yeah, you're getting weak, Tim. You need to get out there and do, do some exercise. And I could do that. I could go to the gym and I could get a workout schedule and I could lift some weights and I could do some cardio and I could strengthen myself by my own effort. And in that case, it would be dependent on, on what I do, right? The amount of effort and work I put into it will directly determine how much stronger I get. If I say, yeah, I'm going to go work out, I go one day and I work out, and I go home and I'm just exhausted and I worked hard, yeah, I did good. And the next morning I wake up and I'm so sore I can't even move, right? So I say, well, I'm going to slow down a little bit. I'm going to pace myself, right? So I take a couple of days off to rest, I take a couple more days off to rest, and I, t I take a few weeks off to rest, and a month later, I go back to the gym. Oh, yeah, I go at it, right? Well, I'm not going to get very strong if I go once a month, right? In fact, I'm probably not going to see any progress at all. Uh, if I want to see progress, it depends on me doing it more often. But that's not the picture here. That is not the picture. Instead, it is having something done to us. It is submitting ourselves to a process. So it's actually a lot more like having surgery. Right? You go to the doctor and he says, yeah, you, you've got a problem. You need, you need help. And, but you can't do it. What's required is surgery. This summer, and some of you know Denise's eye problem she's had for the past number of years. And uh, this summer uh, she went to a doctor in the States who looked at her eye and says, yep, your eye is very weak. He did not say, you need to go out there and strengthen that eye. Like, you need to go out there and get that eye strengthened out, you know, because your eye is weak. No, he said, no, 
uh, there's nothing you can do for this. What you need is surgery. And I'm going to take your bad lens out. I'm going to put a new lens in. And I'm going to fix it for you. And he did that. A small fee <laughs> that we're still paying off. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, but he did it, right? And, he, and her eyes are way better now, right? That is the picture. And so this is a process. This is something that happens to us when we submit ourselves to a process that we do not control is not in our power. So the big question is, what is this process? What is the process? How do we do this? Right? How, what do we subject ourselves to? What, do we, what, what is this process we put ourselves under to build up our faith? That's the million-dollar question. And the answer is actually amazingly simple. This is what he says. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Just as you were taught. Right? He says in verse 6, you, uh, as you received Christ Jesus. Right? And then that receiving we talked about is being taught. It is being taught and proclaimed the message of Christ, the gospel. Right? Uh, the way we... Uh, the way we strengthen our faith, the way we are rooted, built up, and established is by a solid biblical instruction that establishes us in our faith. And this is a big deal for Paul, not only here, but throughout his writings. Paul happens to believe very firmly in teaching of the word. He says this to Timothy. He says, preach the word. Right? People are not going to grow stronger and mature. They're not going to develop in their faith. They're not going to be rooted and established without somebody teaching them, right? And the instruction that establishes in the faith is, is based in, in the Bible, right? It's, it's God's revelation. It's not making stuff up out of the current news or psychology or it's teaching the Bible. But it's not just teaching the Bible. It's teaching the Bible in a way that is gospel-focused, Right, where we are seeing the gospel as the truth that changes people's lives. Ultimately, this teaching is not human. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Really, only the Holy Spirit can actually teach us. But it is through human teachers. Right? It is through human teachers. Uh, we all need teaching. We need to be taught. That is the process God has given us to be rooted uh, built up and established. Now you may think, well, why not? Why can't people just figure it out for themselves? Right? Uh, why is it that the Bible and the Holy Spirit is not enough? Um, and, and, and you may be thinking, well, you know, preachers, of course, would say this. Tim, you would say this because it's your job. It's just a way of making yourself feel important. Right? Well, uh, the truth is that I also need to be taught. Right? I'm not exempt from this because I am a teacher. I, too, must be taught. Uh, and it is necessary for me uh, to pass on what I have received. Right? So I also need to be taught. Well, why, why is it we can't just do this by ourselves? Well, real quick, we don't have time to go into this in detail, but he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Short answer is simply this. Uh, we, we are all at huge risk of philosophies and empty deceit. Now, this sounds like, well, why would be? Why would I be prone to follow empty deceit? It means you're like teaching that's empty and meaningless and pointless. It's like, well, I'm not interested in that. But actually we are, right? And the reason is, is because 
these philosophies, these ideas and these thoughts that are not from Scripture make great sense to us. The reason they make great sense to us is not because they're true, but because it is the truth we have grown up with. It's what we've heard all of our lives. Uh, We live in a world where our worldview and our ideas about what's true is shaped by the world outside of us. And we come to Christ, praise God, we we are given a power to see through things uh, in in a much better way. We are given, as it were, a new lens to see truth. But the reality is that left to ourselves, we will still see the Bible largely through that old lens. Through that old lens. Through the lens of our old worldview and ideas about what's true. Right? Um, uh, so so, so here's, here's an example of it. Um, one of the ideas, one of the ideologies, the philosophies that, that is everywhere around us is what we call secular humanism. A big word that simply means it's this idea that says you can do it, right? Man is the solution to his own problems. Partly they believe that because they don't believe there is a, anything else. They don't believe there's a God, and they believe that you know we are our only hope. And so you just got to believe in yourself. You just get out there and do it, right? And you can fix your own problems. That's secular humanism, and it is taught in a million different ways and reinforced over and over. So we, we come to think, I can do this, right? I can be successful. And it's just a matter of my own effort and hard work and trying more, right? Now we come to Christ and we realize, yeah, we, you know, we, we need Jesus' salvation to deal with our sin. Uh, but oftentimes we hold on to this belief that, yeah, but the rest of my life is all up to me. And so I can actually read this passage through that lens. And it says, uh, uh, So be rooted in him, be built up in him, be established in him. And if I read it through that lens, what I'm going to read is, I need to get out there and I need to root myself up. Or root myself down, I guess. Build myself up. I need to establish myself, right? I need to start reading the Bible a lot more. I've got to learn it in Greek. I've got to learn it in Hebrew. I've got to, I can do this, right? But that's actually the exact opposite of what Paul's teaching, right? Um... And I'll probably get myself in trouble here, uh, but I'm good at that. So let me just plunge ahead, just dive right off the cliff. Um, you know, in, in, in our modern era, there is a lot of church planting strategies and, and even ministry models that have this belief or conviction that people can grow themselves into maturity. Right? That we just give people a Bible or some Bible stories and we say, you all just get together. I know you just came to Christ last week and, and you're a brand new believer, but that's okay. You got the Bible and the Holy Spirit. You just all teach yourselves and you can grow to maturity. Right? Now, there is some value in that. It's not that it's not helpful. And I think in places where there are not a lot of teachers, it's important to teach people how to study the Bible on their own. But it can never be a substitute for a teacher who has received truth and who passes it on accurately and clearly uh, in the power of the Spirit, right? Uh, Those people will never reach maturity talking about what they know about the Bible. And, and, you know, this is an amazing thing to me. I mean, I went through four years of Bible school, three years of seminary, right? 
And after all of that education and reading the Bible over many, many times, I was not in a place where I could figure it out on my own. Right? I mean, I'm sharing with you scripture today, not because I just could figure this out on my own. I was taught, right? And I, I read books and I, I turned to other teachers, even after all my education. What in the world are we doing to people when we say, hey, I know you have no education, no background, you don't know what the Bible teaches, but just figure it out for yourself. Right? Uh, I think Paul would shake his head and go, what are you doing to people? Right? Uh, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, through this process of receiving instruction from the word and passing it on through solid Holy Spirit-filled teaching. Be rooted. Be built up. Be established. As God does that work in your life through good teaching. Right? Okay, we've got to finish. We're out of time. But here, here's the last thing. How do we know this is happening in our life? Um, Paul ends with a, a test that we can put our life to to see if we are being rooted and established and built up. And the, the, the test is simply this that we are abounding in thanksgiving. He says, uh, rooted, built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And here's how we know it's working. Uh, Thanksgiving, and we talked about this a month or two ago, gratitude is when we realize good things are happening in our life. We've, We've been given good gifts that we had nothing to do with. right? They came from outside of us. Right? It's a blessing that we've received outside of us. And it causes us to be grateful and thankful. Right? If we're really getting this, right, what Paul is saying is, look, we come to a point in our life where we realize, I can't root myself. I can't establish myself. I can't save myself. I can't even teach myself. It must come from God. But praise God, as I, as I surrender to him, as I submit myself to good teaching, which, by the way, can come from many places, there's, there's no shortage of it. Don't just listen to me, please, please. There's lots of other good teachers out there. You can download all kinds of good stuff. You can read books. There's endless, there's lots of good teaching, right? And it's a gift from God to build up your faith. But good teaching will be, it'll be biblical. It'll be gospel-centered. Like there's a lot of good teaching out there that's, Taking the Bible and trying to teach people practical ideas to make their life easier. Not the gospel. Right? Needs to be rooted in what Jesus has done for you. When we come to that place of realizing what God has done for us in Christ, that He's the one building us up, that He's the one establishing our faith. Right? We will be grateful. We will be abounding in thanksgiving because we know this is not something I've done. It is something Christ has done in me. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, thank you so much that you have seen our helplessness and our weakness. Lord, you know that we are not able to fix ourselves. We are not able to save ourselves. We are not able on our own to overcome sin or to defeat its power over our life. We are unable uh, and ill-equipped to uh, to even forgive ourselves. But you have done it all 
through the amazing work of Christ when he went to the cross and he gave up his life and he poured out his blood for us so that we could be rooted and built up and established in him. And Lord, that is the message we have received and the message we must pass on uh, to others. Um, That it is in Christ alone and it is all of Jesus. Lord, forgive us where we think that somehow it's up to us. Instead of just surrendering and submitting to your word and to your teaching and your truth uh, to allow your spirit to transform us. We think it's somehow up to our hard work and our effort. Lord, help us to um, learn what it means to walk in, in total dependence on you. Uh, that indeed Jesus would be Lord. And we would just be simple servants who follow your lead, who do what you tell us with faith that you will give us the power uh, to, to, to really live in obedience and to do what you're calling us to. Lord, help us to remember continually uh, the guarantee that Jesus made for us in his own blood. And we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.